Hey everyone, Jesse here. I've created so many ways to connect deeper with the topics and content on this show, from one-on-one and group coaching to learning neuro-linguistic programming directly from me. All these options and so many more are available. Stick around to the end of the episode to learn more. Now, the reason y'all are here, the show. You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. Today would have been my mother's 68th birthday. She would have been 68 years old today, or 68 years young, as I no doubt she would have said it. And it may have been slightly (laughs) some of the reasons I was a little bit emotional yesterday. I'm going to tell you, you watch that reel. Um... I've got it saved. If there's a way I could put it in the show notes or something so that you guys could see this little boy singing to his dying dog. It is just about the most heartwarming and yet heartbreaking thing that you can witness. And I was very much in a reflective mood yesterday, drawing on the fact that today is mom's birthday. And honestly, like it was, it's been in my calendar, like I need it there. Um, I will never forget her birthday. Normally, I forget the day that she died because she died on Valentine's Day of 2007. And uh, for those of you who've been listening for a long time, you know, in 2012, I rode my motorcycle all over the country, spreading her ashes in beautiful places. Um, I actually, the NLP leadership conference I went to that I reference a lot when I was my third, fourth month of sobriety was held in Fort Myers, which is where she moved to when she divorced my stepdad. And that's where she fell in love with this uh, beach called Laley's Barefoot Beach. And that's when I got to spread my mom's ashes at this beach was during that NLP conference when I first got sober that literally launched everything that I've done since. So in a very powerful way, mom has been along the ride from the get-go. And when I think back to our last conversation that I had with mom, um, it was it got a little heated, not in an angry manner, but in a very confrontational sort of way, because I started to talk to her about how I was an alcoholic and how I needed to figure that out. And still to this day, I remember her saying, Jesse, you're not an alcoholic. You're just bored. You need to go out and find something better to do with your life than just stay in your college town, work at the restaurant, and go to your favorite watering hole with all your friends. I didn't agree, and we let bygones be bygones, and sadly she died a few days later, so we never got to continue that conversation. And I don't think she was pushing back against me in a a harm not to be mean, I want to say malfeasance, but that's not the right word, Uh, malicious. I don't think that she was pushing back at me in a malicious way. Other than I think she just wanted to let me know that stagnant Jesse is going to become a hellion. And certainly now in my sobriety and recovery, you know, I do fill my cup full and do lots of many things. And I think that's what I try to get you to assess within yourself is that 
if you find yourself turning back to the alcohol or the drugs time and time again, then the question is, then what is it that you're missing? What is it that you're trying to fulfill within yourself? When my mom told me that she was going to divorce my stepdad, um, one of the main reasons, the driver of the whole thing, was that she had not felt loved or appreciated in the marriage for quite some time. And when she got Crohn's in 84 and came home from all those hospital surgeries with this colostomy bag on the side of her hip, no intestines left in her belly, and, you know, basically here's this bag and this is how I will, you know, do my number twos in a plastic bag on the side of my hip for the rest of my life. Um, I don't think Steve was ready for that. And I don't think that he had the emotional intelligence to work through it. I mean, they didn't even have me go back to the counselor after the first time. They certainly never went and saw therapy. So when she went down to Fort Myers with her friend and um, had a good time and took ecstasy for the first time, met uh, some really cool people and met a guy. Um, you know, all these people were fun and they were drinking tequila and, you know, partying down with some ecstasy. And it was like, hey, there's a world out there that you aren't aware of, that you haven't had access to, and you're not getting any younger. And Crohn's was going to take her. Uh, we didn't know when certainly weren't expecting it when she died on Valentine's Day of 2007. And I'm going through this story, you know, I think I've even, if you go back, I'm pretty sure I talked about her in like episode five or six, um, because I launched this show really close to my sobriety, uh, soberversary. So I'm pretty sure she was one of the very first episodes. And she wanted more from her life. And I think that a lot of us do. A lot of us might feel trapped um, in a relationship or in a career or in a city that's no longer serving us. And I will always commend her for having the gumption, for having the cojones to walk away from a life that many people would have found a way to just push through, to just say, you know what? Look at all the things that I have, and I'd rather have all these things than the uncertainty of what's out there. And while she did get, you know, a nice divorce settlement um, and went down and bought a really awesome house and things were going well for a little while, um, she didn't really have a plan past that. And the man that she had met that, you know, turned into a relationship, um, had his own addiction issues and had his own process issues. And so she comes down there with her own process addictions and her own actual addictions. Um, And then next thing you know, being paired up with somebody who also has very similar issues within themselves, a a love affair for tequila. (laughs) That's why she named her first little Chihuahua, Jose. Um, She didn't plan. She didn't think ahead. And ultimately, that beautiful life that she was so excited to have in Florida um, withered away, and she was left broke and penniless without the beautiful house on the canal and without the amazing relationship she thought was the love of her life. And sadly, ended up back in Oklahoma, um, where she was born, um, living in Oklahoma City for a little while, then eventually in Norman, then eventually back in Oklahoma City. And the irony upon all ironies is that the man that she divorced and, you know, blew up the mogul family. I mean, they both blew it up, but she was the instigator of it, I suppose. 
um, I don't suppose, I know, but now I'm starting to flounder here a little bit, is that the irony of it all is that the night she died, she ended up still having that same man, my stepdad, in the front living room of the house. They had both um, become so broken and so broke and so unhealthy and destitute that they ultimately ended up living in this tiny little one-bedroom house in the backyard of my grandma's. Um, And I'll just never forget going there to bury her and my stepdad crying. And I had never seen him cry. Never. In all the years that I had known him, ever seen him cry. And he had had multiple strokes by that point in time. He couldn't speak anymore. He barely could move the right-hand side of his body. Um, Diabetes had taken his left foot due to complications from uh, the Vietnam War. I've often wondered if those what those tears were instigated for. And I've settled on broken dreams and a life that could have been. And I can only imagine the regret that both my mom and dad went through living in that tiny little house on welfare, paycheck to paycheck, not having much of anything you know, two cents to rub together. And had they been able to work through, he was a workaholic. Um, She got on some pain pills because of Crohn's and was, um, you know, dabbling in the alcohol here and there. But for the most part was very good mom. I mean, amazing mother. I build a statue in her honor if I could. And he did exactly what he was trained to do as a child, which was work really hard and provide for the family. I mean, that's what men were taught in the 40s and 50s. It's, this is what you do. You go away to the military, you come home, you provide for your family. No one's asking you for hugs and kisses. Just, you know, keep a roof over our heads. And I'm, I guess I'm rambling in this story at this point. We all have an opportunity to choose how we're going to live. When mom made that choice to go down to Fort Myers and have a blast with her friend and then come back up and through some conversations, her and dad decided to get a divorce, there was choices that they both could have made at that point. Um, Dad could have maybe stopped working so much. Um, Not leaving my sister at home alone in the middle of the country with an abusive boyfriend and lots of people more than happy to fill the void that no mom and no dad provides and gets her on drugs at a very young age. I go off to college and without any parental supervision, I showed up to college already into LSD, marijuana, and and, um, cocaine. And I was a straight A student in high school. Um buttoned up and nerdy and all that jazz. They made decisions and ultimately those decisions didn't pan out in a very, very unfortunate and sad way. And so circling back on it being her 68th birthday, I'm honored to have had her for as long as I had her as my mom. Um, I have a ton of regrets for how I treated her in my early stages of addiction from 18 to about 25. Uh, And I have no doubt that she would have a tremendous amount of regrets as well. And if there was a message to send out in this episode, it's that 
what actions are you taking today that you already can imagine you'll have regrets about later? See, she couldn't have possibly have foreseen the way that everything was going to go super sideways in the relationship, in the divorce, in our in the lives of her children. And again, going back to something I think I said at the beginning here, I've I found it so admirable that she was willing to make this humongous leap for love considering the comfortability of her life. It's something that I've I've admired so much, even though I believe that it sent my me and my sister's life so sideways, that I've often run my own life through that filter. Like I refuse to let this one time that Jesse Colin Mogul gets to spin around on this rock to not be live to its fullest. It's why I did all that FOMO YOLO stuff I talked about the other day on the show. I was like, screw it. I get one time, let's go down. And then I get sober and I'm like, okay, I get one chance at this. Let's go nuts. What have I always wanted to accomplish? What is, what is just the most obscene dream I can think of? Let's set my sights on that. And on her birthday, 68th birthday, I can't help but think that if she were to have another opportunity to live it all over again, I don't necessarily think that she wouldn't still instigate the divorce. Although if she was here, she would definitely say it was Steve who instigated the divorce by showing me um, silly pictures of her rolling at a club. But either way, the divorce was instigated and they both followed through with it. And I don't know if she would necessarily not make the same decision to leave. I just think that she'd make a lot of different decisions about the way that she left and what she did once she did leave. And this is where I go back to asking you, what are some decisions you're making now that you already think that you might potentially regret? Because if you can, as you're making a decision, if you're already like, man, this is probably not the best way to go about things. It's a good opportunity to just stop and ask yourself, is there enough self-awareness around this decision and the effects that it can have on my life, on my loved ones, on my world as a whole. She's an amazing woman. I will sing her praises all the days long. I won't sugarcoat the life that she led or the life that I led while she was leading that life. I won't deny the fact that I got so angry with her um, somewhere around that 19 to 21 year range that I didn't talk to her um, except for on her birthday and Christmas. I literally would just not I don't even think I would take her phone calls on my birthday. But still to this day, when when she passed away, I can remember how fervently I tore through that tiny little house looking for letters that she might have written that she never sent or a journal that may have documented some of the things that she was going through. And when I went through the archives of all the things that I kept from my childhood or things that she had sent me, I didn't keep her letters. And for the life of me, that's something I would definitely have gone back and done differently. I know of all the things that I would choose to change, keeping those letters that she had written me, keeping those Christmas cards. Um, When I was in high school, she made my lunch and she would always write on a napkin. Um, just like a little like love you or good luck on the test or something. And I would look forward every single day to opening up that napkin and seeing what she wrote. 
Um, later she would tell me that it was very difficult to be creative and write something every day, but she knew how much it meant to me. And to have had any of those kind of keepsakes would have been a blessing. And I love you, mom, regardless of how the whole thing went and the regrets that we both shared with one another. It was a a blessing to have you as a mom. You turned me on to music. You made life enjoyable. You taught me to just be myself and be comfortable in my own skin. And it did take me many decades to finally get there. But eventually I got there. And it certainly was all, you know, I'll never forget this one time we got real angry at each other. And I told her that she had nothing to do with the man that I was or was becoming. And at the time I was a bit of a fucktard. So this was like mid twenties. And I probably, <laughs> it was probably a compliment. You had nothing to do with the who I've become. Well, thank God because you are wasted all the time. And I'm pretty sure you still got glitter in your hair. dumbass. Take a shower. <laughs> Um, but that was one of the, that was one of the meanest things I ever said to her because she put so much time and effort into cultivating me, uh, into becoming a man and understanding, um, what it was like to be a good person and to care about other people and to, um, you know, not be, you know, uh, just a cruel person just for the sake of being cruel to find uh, something amazing in every single person I met. She's the reason why I, you know, fell in love with music at a young age. She taught me how to cook, um, taught me how to clean up after myself, you know, made sure that when I left her, that I wasn't going to run off into the arms of a, of a woman just for the sake of needing somebody to clean my bathtub, clean my clothes, and feed me. She's like, as long as you can feed yourself, clean yourself, and take care of yourself, you get to choose what kind of relationship you're in. And she's correct. Um, it's one of the reasons why I never jumped into a relationship in my 20s and 30s. It was with mindful about those kind of things because I could feed myself and I could clean myself. And I have no doubt at this stage of my life, she would be very proud of the man I've become. I also think that she was pretty proud of that man I was in my 20s and 30s, regardless of all the substances and drinking. We have a beautiful opportunity every single day to find this miraculous in life, the beautifulness of the human spirit, of finding the butterfly on the leaf or the little squirrel running up the tree with the little acorn. Like there's amazingness around us all the time. I would recommend you stop and you smell that rose. And then you call somebody up whom you really love and you just enjoy a conversation with them because it's available and it's there for you. I'll get you out of here on this. I've got some really cool notes from a lot of books I've been reading, and I'll go over them here soon. But one of the ones I've been dissecting is the 12-week 12, uh, the 12 year. And a really cool thing in there is he talks about making commitments and how to follow through with them. And one of the people who did this wrote him a letter and talked about how one of the commitments they made was calling their mother every single day. And the man did it Monday through Friday. He's like, yeah, mom and I decided to take Saturday and Sunday off. He's like, but every single day for like two and a half years, he called his mom. And then his mom abruptly passed away out of the clear blue. And he's like, you know, it 
never goes by a day that I don't think about wishing I could call her and being blessed that I made that commitment to call her every single day when I did, because now I have all of those amazing memories of the conversations we had to hold on to. And when I heard him say that today, as I was making my walk and getting my steps, I thought, you know, that's, that's something that if we all could know one day how much we'll miss somebody, how much more proactive we would be about reaching out to them and sharing our lives. Um, I found in some of my notes as I was going through thinking about podcast episodes where um, I wrote down something that said to the effect of, let's stop trying to protect ourselves and instead let's put more time and attention towards connecting ourselves. The human spirit is so afraid of rejection and feeling vulnerable and just fear in general that we will often choose protecting ourselves over actually connecting with someone because it's easier to just lock ourselves away than put ourselves out there and potentially feel hurt or rejected or disregarded. I'd say let's, let's start putting more energy towards the connection. Because we've clearly tried the protection thing for so long. (laughs) I think we're starting to see the fallibility in that strategy. (laughs) Oh, if only I could call mom and wish her a happy birthday today. I love you, mom. Thanks for being here in spirit, even if you can't be here in body. As always, my friends... Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to mom. Love you, ma'am. Best mom anybody could have ever asked for. And that one day when you tore apart the uh, the Tommy rock opera by The Who and dissected it for me and told me about every single song and what was happening and you just, I'll never forget that day. I swear that was the day that I started listening to lyrics. Thanks. Thanks, Mom. Glow on, my friends. Bye-bye. Looking in the mirror and being disappointed with the person looking back at you is demoralizing. How are you supposed to build yourself up when all the while you're beating yourself down inside your head. The problem you run into is your mind runs on thousands of programmed loops, and these loops direct when you smile, frown, laugh, and get sad, amongst the many other emotions available to us. These loops also direct when you push through a challenge and when you fall back into patterns and habits that are wrecking your life. This show aims to directly speak to your subconscious mind and create new pathways of behaviors. And yet some of y'all need a little more guidance than that. Imagine there's a version of you locked inside you, banging to get out, and all you need are the keys. When used in order, will unlock yourself from yourself. There are infinite keys, and I have trained myself first on me, then with hundreds of clients just like you, to unlock our potential so we can free ourselves from our addictions and negative self-talk. If you are ready to change everything by changing the smallest things, go to jessemogul.com slash ask me and fill out a coaching questionnaire today. 
Nothing changes until you decide you want to change. Let's do it together. Do you love the topics on this show? Are you interested in knowing how I radically change my perspective on my life and the world? Are you ready to change your thinking so your feelings and actions are directed by your optimistic and empowered self? I teach neuro-linguistic programming to people just like you. NLP teaches us to guide our minds to envision your life in amazing ways and then guides you to find that internal desire to actually go and take action. If you are tired of starting and stopping, quitting when the going gets tough, not achieving the changes you so desperately desire, then NLP is just as ready for you as you are ready for it. Go to jessemogul.com slash ask me and complete the NLP questionnaire today. Classes start in the spring. See you then. One last advert, my friends. I'm a one-man band over here. If you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon, Stand Store, or buy me a cup of coffee. Any support I receive goes directly to growing this show, my channel, and my business of providing support to those who need it most. From driving to speak at addiction recovery centers, to coaching and mentoring those seeking sobriety and recovery, to paying for all the software that keeps this all going, any support you bring will be well received. Thank you for being a loyal listener and for patiently waiting for these adverts to end. I specifically choose not to promote other companies' products on my show because I don't know if their stuff is a great fit for you, but I'm pretty sure mine is. If you would like more information on how to support me through Patreon, the Stand Store, or buy me a cup of coffee, all that information is located in the show notes. All right, my friends, it's been a pleasure having you here. See you on the next episode. Oh, 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 oh,